Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you could possibly think of, has its own history, like bananas, darkness, and incredulity. I love the idea of doing something about incredulity, but I think next up is bananas. I think it's bananas. It's bananas. Mm. Or we could do cheese, fleas, and the wheeze. The wheeze is all about the history of TB. We could also do sleaze, please... As in, please, uh, please, yes, please, or no, thank you. Uh, And the sneeze, which again could be about contagion and sort of exploding um, disease everywhere. However, for Mm. the moment, we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining very carefully indeed how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew that the history of surprises is in fact all about the history of jack-in-a-boxes, the remarkable finds uncovered by the archaeological excavations of Britain's Stone Age culture in Orkney's nests of Brigir. It's about golden hats, it's about ambushes and surprise attacks. Think Trojan horse. It's also about the unexpected political victories of the world. It's about surprise election votes. It's about ghosts and booing out. Who knew? Who knew indeed? Or who knew that the history of dogs is in fact all about Tudor gifts, Anne Boleyn, Henry VIII and sporting pastimes. It's about Mary, Queen of Scots, lapdog. It's about the 1796 dog tax. It's about the attempt in Edinburgh in 1738 to contain dogs in order to deal with the outbreak of rabies. It's also about the history of guide dogs via Herculaneum and Charles Dickens, and it's about the wonderful personal histories and memories of beloved childhood pets and monsters. Mm. Monstrous dogs. (laughs) Woof woof. (laughs) All all wonderful, wonderful episodes. Let me introduce my fellow presenter, who is this disembodied voice. Let me say that if history were a hand, this man would be the thumb. Without him, history would be unable to pick up small objects, eat with one hand, develop and use tools, grasp a pint. He is the one thing that makes history great in the modern world. He is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, James. 
Hello, and, and who, you may well be wondering, dear listeners, uh, who is that unattributed voice so ably helping Daybell co-pilot this very episode? Well, let's just say that if he were a thumb-related historian, he'd be giving the thumbs up to everyone studying history at school, the thumbs down to STEM-related disciplines, <laughs> science, technology, engineering and maths. In fact, he'd be flicking his thumb at his chin about them dirty mathematicians. He'd be thumbing a lift to the archives, applying intellectual thumbscrews to himself to read more, discover new documents, thumb through the latest, most exciting and innovative historical arguments. Did you get it, kids? It's a thumbs up from the famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis, for all things history for young and old. The future (laughs) is with history and shape disciplines. It's not with STEM. (laughs) <laughs> there we are. I'll get off my They're... soapbox now. Do you know I'm, I'm yeah. irate because my daughters had to take the this, the math school challenge uh, and right. they brought home some past papers. Uh, and I pride, pride myself on being actually quite good at maths, or I was very good at maths when I was 16 when I last did it. And the stuff is absurd. It's just absurd. Also, grammatically, the questions don't make sense. I don't know Hmm, whether you've ever done one of these sort of maths challenges, but, uh, you know, a train departing here and there and arriving, blah, 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 blah. I I simply couldn't get it. Maybe it's just my own. uh, I'm I'm annoyed about my own inadequacies. Um, (laughs) What do you think? There's (laughs) a rant and a half for you. Well, no, it was very good, James. And uh, no, I think think it's great. Um, But you don't have to do history at school. I, I didn't do history at school. That's my claim to fame. Look at me now. I'm a professional historian. So no, please, no one listen to what I'm saying because I can't know what I'm talking about because I didn't learn history when I was a child. <laughs> you are a doctor and you ha- do have a doctorate in history, though. <laughs> That's true. And an honorary doctorate. Yes. From the, the and an honorary doctorate. You're a, uh, Sam Willis is, in fact, a double, a double doctor. A double yeah, doctor yeah. of history. Um, thumbs, James. Whose idea was this? Y- this, this, do you know, this is pathetic to say, but the, the history of the thumb comes from the fact that, as you may have heard last week, uh, that I cut my thumb very badly. Uh, what remarkable sources of inspiration we get for these episodes nowadays. Sam Willis, so profound. I half sever my thumb, which is very much better now. Thank you for asking. Um, and then we go off on a, on a riff and think about the history of the thumb. But it also connected to... Mm. It also connected for me to some of the stuff that we'd done in in histories of the unexpected. So the opposable thumb, and I'm sure you're going to talk a little bit about that from your introduction, but also the history of thumb screws, which I'm going to talk a little bit about later on, uh, and also the the sort of the meaning of the thumb, the cultural meaning of thumb gestures. So thumbs up, we've already talked about that. Thumbs down, um, you know, and you can connect that all over the place. It has different cultural meanings. Some places it, it, it's good uh, in Iran and Iraq. Um, a thumbs up is in fact a, a sort of a, a negative uh, thing to do, but it also meant things in gladiatorial combats. You know, a thumbs down meant that you would put somebody to death. But then I was also thinking, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this, about um, about the history of Tom Thumb, and in fact the history of the history of um, General Tom Thumb, uh, that sort of uh, individual who was toured around by the famous P.T. Barnum. So, um, and this mm. is a, a fascinate, really, really fascinating history uh, that I'm going to to talk about if we have time. Uh, at the end of what we're going to talk about today, and this is somebody who is of sort of you know I think the correct term is a, is a little a little person, um, and he was born in the 
late 19th century and went on to have great fame and, and, and great fortune um, and even even performed in front of Queen Victoria, would you believe? So the thumb, the thumb is leading me everywhere, Sam Willis. Where's it leading yeah, you? Fascinating stuff. Um, oh, gosh. Um, hitchhiking is where I, I started. But Ooh, let's just say something nice. briefly about just gestures, because I think that is quite interesting. Just more generally is like, how do you um, how do you recover? A history of gestures. How do you recover something? It's quite rare that that someone would sit down and describe someone else's physical um, actions in a diary or a letter. And so often historians um, who are trying to recreate gestures in the past will look at um, sculpture. It's a good thing, particularly um, in um, studying Roman Roman history. Um, and also other other things. Um, I did come across a, uh, a really interesting chap from the University of Virginia. This is Antoni Corbet. He's a professor of Latin who's done a little bit of work on gestures in ancient Rome. And he's um, found a, a fantastic medallion um, which shows a scene from a gladiatorial battle. And that has allowed him to to uh, to start trying to restructure the understanding or the position of of gestures in terms of judgment in relating to gladiatorial battle and actually james um it appears that that our understanding of the use of the thumb in that is is the other way round and actually that if you have a if you have a fist with your thumb pressing down on it that means everything is okay uh, he may live but if your thumb was up that actually meant that the person was not going to be spared it's um it's a complete 180 degree um Ooh, uh, a change in our understanding. But I really liked the idea of how... The, the challenge of how you re- recreate body language. OK, I have uh, something for you, you, Sam Willis. I have something oh, okay. for you. One of the greatest journals of all time, past and present, has a special edition, uh, volume 2003, issue supplement for 2009, a volume called entitled... The Politics of Gesture, Historical Perspectives. And it has a brilliant introduction on the politics of gesture by Michael Braddock. It then has gesture in Byzantium. It has gestures and comportment at the Carolinian court between practice and perception. Gestures of pain, implications of guilt, Mary and the Jews. Gesturing at authority, uh, John Walter deciphering the gestural code of early modern England. Uh, James Sweet on mutual misunderstandings, gesture, gender and healing in the African Portuguese world. And so it goes on. Mm. Colin Jones meeting and I love that. I, I love that idea about customs. misunderstanding. Oh yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm a I'm a gestural person. I'm very expressive with my with. I gesticulate a lot. I'm not yeah, sort of rude yeah. gestures, but I I perform. I explain with my hands. I like an audience to sort of understand the sort of, you know, the visually what I'm what I'm emphasising. Looks terrible on camera, though, doesn't it? You, so where, where, where do you put your hands? Where do you put your hands on camera? You can't have some sort of gesturing fool like a sort of Magnus Pike um, on <laughs> in front of the screen. Where do you put your hands? Yeah. How did you learn not to not to wave your hands around, Sam Willis? Or do you do you I, lead with your hands? I I, I just don't really think about it. Um, I don't think it, oh. I actually don't think it matters as long as you do it naturally. 
Mm. Um, and it's just very obvious if someone is being unnatural with their hands, like so, someone's told them about it or they're worried about it, and then and then the whole thing breaks down because their body language doesn't work because the the bits that are attached to their elbows <laughs> are not are not playing the same game as the words that are coming out of their mouths. So um, uh, yeah, I don't think there is a one way of doing it or another way of doing it uh, as so long as you you look natural, and I think you're then much more convincing. That would be my argument. Oh, very good. I did words from the wise there. <laughs> I'll take. I'll bear that in mind. <laughs> um, shall I? Shall I start off with a bit of um, a bit of hitchhiking? I thought this was fascinating. Oh, we love a bit um, of hitchhiking. We do love a bit of hitchhiking. So you know, you see people with their thumbs out on the road. The, it does raise all sorts of issues, and that all of them have their own histories. Hitchhiking. So you've got the the, the history of the gesture itself, which is interesting, and um, it's by no means straightforward. You, uh, you have different different gestures for hitchhiking around the world. So in South Africa, um, you might a South, a South Africa a hitchhiker might show the back of his hand with the index finger raised, so pointing up to the sky. So no thumbs involved there. Poland, the hand is held flat and waved. India, the hand is waved with the palm facing downwards. In Israel, the sign is a stretched forefinger pointed towards the road. So um, don't assume that just because we we know that uh, we think that the thumb, um, your thumbs up gesture is a, is a means of catching a ride on the road, it's actually very different. Um, and so there's a history there. And I, I'm very interested in why that's come about. I also think it's quite interesting the way that hitchhiking itself is by necessity linked with the history of the automobile and it's the history of transport and um, if you look at it in America you can see how um, the world took such a massive change in the 1920s so in 1920 there are just under 10 million automobiles 9,231,941 cars that are registered in the states Um, just five years later it's doubled. I mean, it's 19,937,000. it's gone up to 26,500,000. So not only is there this huge explosion of cars, but also roads for the cars. Um, and the improvement of the road system more than anything else really leads to uh, a huge and growing number of hitchhiking trips but also hitchhiking trips which are faster so you've got this the world of of america um becoming much smaller um being closed down in the 1920s and people starting to experience their country in a new way particularly people and this is the key i think james is particularly people who can't afford a car um and so by 1927, you've got a couple who managed to hitchhike from L.A. to New York. It takes them just two weeks, which is an extraordinary achievement. So you can see how everyone's horizons and worlds are shrinking. But I like this idea of um, when I was reading this article, it assumed that the people um, who were doing the hitchhiking couldn't afford to have a car, which I thought was a pretty seriously big assumption, actually. Um, and I'm sure that if you looked into it, you would find all sorts of, of people, a, a great variety of people choosing to catch rides. So, so maybe they were unable to pay, maybe they were unwilling to pay, which is a different thing, I think, altogether. Um, I think it's interesting if you think about it in terms of the availability of other forms of transport. So more likely people are going to hitchhike when there's no other form of transport available. Uh, and I talked a little bit about this in um, the last episode we did on corridors and about how the collapse of the railway 
rather than the introduction of the railway in America, um, was a really interesting history because it led to these these strange corridors where once there was a railway and now there wasn't, meaning people suddenly had to rely on cars. I thought that linked it together. Um, and you have a sense of roads linking together depressed towns. Now, if you then think about how that all, was all affected in the late 20s and the 30s with the Great Depression as well, then suddenly there's a whole new world here. Um, there's also questions of people travelling for adventure, uh, and I, I particularly like that. And also the, the types of people. So it seems that the majority of people who hitchhiked were not the same people who lived uh, on sort of bumming around for work and making a living on the um, the American rail network. And that has, uh, and those people, that sort of uh, slice of society has its own history. But the road network does seem to be very different. The more I looked into this, the more I, I found it was also related to, to bigger events. So the First World War is interesting. You've got a lot of veterans hitching rides. Um, and this um, raises questions about what people thought of those who were trying to hitch rides. Uh, there's some suggestion here that local army officers um, w- would only issue passes to people who would prove that they had enough money to buy their own transportation. So it was as if uh, as if the army didn't want to have their soldiers um, causing trouble out on the roads. And I thought that was that was extraordinary. Um, a lot of kids seem to have been hitchhiking in the 20s, particularly lots of descriptions of girls and women hitchhiking in the mid-20s. Uh, and also college students. 1930s, the majority of, of the people who were hitchhiking seem to have been uh, college students. Um, and there was some suggestion that uh, any laws that were passed against hitchhikers would not be applied to college students. So, James, I, I think the more you look into this, the more you realise how many different angles you can attack it. Uh, from so who's doing the hitchhiking how were they uh, considered what were the reasons for it how were laws passed against them in different states why were they traveling and the way that all these different uh, and major world events affected the history of hitchhiking i think would be is well it's um, so so much material there for a really in-depth history 
Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Do you know what, Sam? What you were saying about hitchhiking there and college students reminds me of an anecdote that my father gave. My father was uh, was born in 1942, if I'm allowed to say that, Dad. Sorry, he turns 80 this year. Uh, but he was a student in, I suppose, the early 60s, away in Wales, and he used to hitchhike all the time, and it was to save money. And uh, it's really interesting what he did, because he had a great big trunk, so all of his stuff would be put in a trunk, and he would put that on a train, then the train would sort of take off. He'd then meet it at the at the station and get picked up. But he would travel by hitchhiking. And he had a big sort of overcoat, so when it rained, he was kept dry. Um, so I didn't know that his, his experience of hitchhiking as an undergraduate student was connected to so much history, Sam. <gasps> God, we're all mm. just a stone's throw from great sort of you know, continent, centuries-wide movements in history. However, uh, to go back to what I was going to say, I'm going to talk about <laughs> the history of thumbscrews. And this came, this connects, really, to a chapter that we wrote in our book on the history of the lean. Do you remember that? And we were... This came about yeah. because we were wandering around a cricket pitch... Uh, wondering what we should do for all the chapters for our Histories of the Unexpected Big Book. And you said, I know what, as we were driving back, um, you, you said, goodness me, there's a, there's a leaning tree, we must do something about the history of the lean, and then that led to all sorts of things. And then it was left to me to sort of take the lean in a different way. And I said, well, for me, really, the lean is about leaning on people. So it's about, a, you know, if you think about a political world, it's about racketeering in in you know, throughout history, it's about influence and contacts. It's about being able to lean hard on those people that you wish to bend. And what I'm, what I, what we argued there was that some such influence often crossed the boundaries of what was legally or indeed morally acceptable. So how would you lean on people, making them talk or do what you wanted? Connects to the history of torture and the history of the rack and waterboarding bamboo under the fingernails, electric shocks, sleep deprivation, all those kinds of things, all sorts of devices and techniques. And of course, it's also all about thumbscrews, which were a pretty effective way of leaning on people. And these have an extraordinary history. You can see them used in the ancient world, throughout the medieval world, where they're employed in, in Europe. You can see them used in the 20th century by the Gestapo, for example. I think they've been used in Guantanamo Bay, you know, to, to force... Uh, confessions out of people. You can see them being used by mobsters all the time. And they come in sort of all kinds of different 
different types sort of made out of cast iron some of them are just for single thumbs others of them are for uh, double double thumbs both in together so that you break those and you apply pressure to them some are made to take 10 fingers some are even made to they're not 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 so much thumb screws as as toe screws so it's you know these different types of torture that are about crushing you know digits or foot crushing um and we can see that in all sorts of places we can see it in in places like the the london dungeon or the edinburgh dungeon with all sorts of things used to extract things from people one of the really interesting examples that we've looked at in the past is the example of guy fawkes and a an assigned document so how do you know the impact that thumb screws have on people fawkes was put on the rack his fingers were sort of broken uh, and then he signs his he signs his confessions, his interrogations, with a barely legible scrawl, which shows that he was forced to sign these after eight days of torture, including the rack in the Tower of London. So the history of the history of thumbscrews then is connected to torture. It's about leaning on people. It's about extorting people. Now I want to just tell you about one really fascinating example that I found as an instrument of, of torture, the thumbscrew, in the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney, Sydney, Australia. And you should all go and go and, um, and Google this. So Powerhouse Museum, Sydney, Australia, instrument of torture there's a lovely little blog there by who i assume is one of the curators jeff barker it's from 18th of march 2013 and it looks like a imagine one of those old-fashioned wooden nutcrackers sam a wooden nutcracker and you you've got it's got a, a sort of handle on it and then you twit there's a little sort of um place for you to put a walnut in a sort of the wooden and a little place for you to put a little hole for you to put a walnut and then you screw the thread and so they as by screwing it you crack the you crack the shell of the walnut and take out a lovely sort of you know juicy walnut and walnuts juicy they're not necessarily juicy but you know what i mean a sort of delicious walnut to to eat something you do at christmas but imagine that and transport it to the world of torture and you imagine putting your thumb in a wooden wooden sort of nutcracker and tightening it up and that would be used to basically you know make cause a great deal of pain so that you would you know you would basically you know confess what you were what you were what somebody was trying to get out of you um there is a you can see examples of this in early modern scotland and i was reading a lovely lovely blog i will name the blog um a blog by uh dr alan kennedy uh and it's a center for scottish culture blog and it's a piece about torture in early modern scotland it's a brilliant piece you should all have a look at it um absolutely wonderful um but it's got some really great sort of um examples of what are called in scotland thumb thumbikins you know which are these sort of torture devices and it gives two examples of, of sort of traditional scottish uh devices one is the is the corkscrew which would be used to you know you'd basically put the the victim's thumbs in a vice and then you slowly slowly squeeze and tighten it and effectively crush 
the digits and you could inflict enormous pain and also you know really cripple somebody's fingers i remember when we did our show on the tudors we talked about the jesuit priest john gerard who'd had his his hands broken presumably through such devices and there and was trying to exercise his his hands afterwards uh, to try and make them work so that he could write the other device it's not about the um it's not about thumbs it's at, it's about it's about feet it's a device called the boot and in scotland it's called the spanish boot and basically the description here that that the the blog gives is that there are two dif two distinct phases to this so the first is the leg is and I'm, I'm reading here is is placed in a tight stiff sheath uh made from metal or wood uh, which basically this encases the leg you know very much like a, like a boot and then what they do is they put wedges of wood hammered into the space beneath the leg and the sheath and what this does is it lacerates the skin lacerates the flesh and ultimately causes uh, the breaking of the bones can you imagine that imagine putting on a a pair of wellies made of metal um, and you've got your feet in there and then somebody puts pieces of wood down the side and hammers them in uh, what a painful painful way of you know extracting um oh extracting confessions from people so there we are sam thumbs are all about torture and uh the thumb screw yeah it's interesting isn't it that we the 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 thumbs being something that makes us human, it gives us our, our, our the opposable thumbs. It gives us all the the manual dexterity we need to do the things which which separate us from the animal world, and also the ability to write to write your name is directly affected by having your thumbs broken. So there is something definitely symbolic going on with thumb screws. It wasn't a, a, a randomly invented device. Um, so incredibly painful, yes, but it does prevent you from doing those things which I mentioned right at the beginning and um, whether it's uh, it's writing or picking up small things but you think about it everything that you do with your thumb that gives you that manual dexterity is something that defines you as human um James I think we should just maybe finish up with a little something on Tom Thumb because you mentioned you're going to talk about him I thought this was Ooh. really really interesting I actually got into this by by thinking about Thumbelina which was a story ah, that I knew yes. so that's a um, Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale uh, from 1835 um, the earliest English translation is 1846 but uh, interestingly is that this again um, uh, Anderson didn't suddenly come up with this out of nowhere um, we've got the much much older story of Tom Thumb um, and we know there's a published version from 1621 so more than two centuries before Hans Christian Andersen and it was the first fairy tale printed in English. Uh, it's a, a wonderful story. It's more of a kind of a, it's no sort of singular narrative. It's more of a collection of strange things that happened to poor old Tom. And um, Tom is, is, is very small indeed. Um, and his birth's actually linked in to, to, to uh, the wizard Merlin and King Arthur and uh, a ploughman. Um, his wife is unable to give him children, so he urges her to go and see Merlin. And then um, Merlin promises to bring them a child, even if the child was no bigger than a thumb. And uh, his wife con uh, consented. 
and they end up with 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 little Tom, and he goes on and has a fairly extraordinarily unsuccess unlucky life. Not unsuccessful. I think the whole point about it is that he is a success in the end. It's a it's a classic kind of fairy tale story. He ends up being popular and successful, but um, he gets locked into a box, a little tiny box, when some boys are playing a game. Um, he uh, he gets he falls into pudding batter, which is a, reminds me of another childhood story. Uh, which I had when I was a kid, but not this one particularly. So the theme there carried on, um, and um, the the pudding is is given to a tinker, but the tinker realizes there's a person in it. Um, so he's saved before he gets eaten, but then he is eaten by a cow. The cow essentially poos out Tom Thumb. He's then um, dropped into a castle by a raven, and then the giant eats him and then vomits him out. Um, and then he gets stuck into a, in a fish as well and is freed by a, the cook who spots Tom in the belly of a fish. Um, and all of this happens, actually, at the court of a king, which is Tom's sort of rags-to-riches moment is when he becomes famous. And he works as a... as a um, uh, uh, well, works in the king's court as a, as a means of the type of, of entertainment, um, which made me think about uh, what you were going to say about General Tom Thumb. Uh, but uh, a fascinating, fascinating story, uh, and it's worth going going back to it and exploring it, and bearing in mind that we don't have a, a kind of a con- coherent single narrative line. Just lots and lots of weird things happen to Tom, but he ends up being popular and admired. Ah, and that, this is, of course... This sort of folk tradition of Tom Thumb, it connects to what I was going to say about Charles Sherwood Stratton, who was a, a a little person or a person of short stature, who was born in January 1838. He lived just over th- just over 40 years, dying on the 15th of July 1883. And he is known by his stage name General Tom Thumb and was a performer in the circus of P.T. Barnum. Uh, P.T. Barnum, who I think is in The Greatest Showman on Earth film. My my daughters love that film. It's a terrific film. Um, but, you know, this is a, a really interesting story. This is a, a boy who's born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, to parents of sort of, you know, fairly regular height. And by, um, you know, five years old, he's only about... 25 inches tall um you know he's 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 very short and barnum hears about this he contacts the parents uh teaches the boy how to sing dance mime do impersonations and he goes on to be incredibly famous and first of all he's he's part of his sort of uh, act of, of sort of strange oddities um, at the beginning. But then he sort of goes on tour. He achieves, uh, you know, real international celebrity. Um, and that that's really striking that he, um, you know, he goes over to, to England and goes to London. And at first, he's not really received that well. The, the, the reception is really poor. And then Barnum is a real showman, a real publicist, and he manages how the English system works. That it's it's not like America, which is a much more egalitarian society. It's very, very uh, hierarchical. Class status is really important. And actually, what he does is he gets, you know, upper class endorsement, which immediately 
you know raises the popularity he gets the the boy uh invited to the royal court to queen victoria at buckingham palace and this is a period when prince albert is is has died you know so they're in official mourning um so it's something that's quite risky um but it's there's an extraordinary little sort of you know anecdote about about this this court appearance when this six-year-old uh stratton you know comes to the royal court um he you know has an entertainer's hat on he's singing and dancing sort of cheeky songs and and you know it it seems fine nobody sort of you know gets rid of him um he's given enough sort of instructions about you know how to leave the, the sort of presence of the queen and you know where you you do not turn your back on her so he walks backwards but as he sort of steps backwards and forwards he trips over uh and uh, the royal a royal spaniel who's about the same yeah, height as as the boy sort of barks and yaps about and and what he does instead of sort of getting frightened by that the natural performer in him takes out a toy sword and and starts pretending to fight the dog and the you know everyone sort of is is amused and laughs and even queen victoria uh is in laughed and you know they they're invited back to the palace and in a way that was one of the things that really sort of launched him in 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 Britain then what happens fascinatingly is we're seeing all these celebrity weddings uh nowadays with with uh Beckham Posh and Bex's uh, son you know getting married in a celebrity wedding um there's a he has a celebrity wedding uh in February 1863 and he marries another one of his acts uh, another person of restricted growth called Lavinia Warren and they have a huge celebration. There are almost a thousand, I think it's 10,000 people invited to the reception. So it's a real sort of publicity stunt. Harper's Magazine, by the photographs, President Abraham Lincoln hosts their honeymoon party. So it's a huge deal. Um, and, you know, there are all sorts of debates around, about this in terms of how... Uh, how people uh, of, of sort of reduced stature or people who were seen as as and I, I'm doing uh, quotation marks freaks here at the time the sort of the idea of the Victorian freak show and whether these people were basically being objectified for you know their abnormalities or whether in fact that it this actually gave them a sort of stage of agency and a degree of of power so there we are Sam uh, Tom Thumb General Tom Thumb fascinating stuff well guys thank you very much I hope you've enjoyed our little history of the thumb um, makes me realise how much more there is to study there and how much more there is to get into um, if you want to find out what else we've got coming up we certainly do have bananas coming up which I'm looking forward to recording um, do please follow me on social media I'm at Dr Sam Willis and if you're interested in maritime and naval history the history of the sea please check out the Mariner's Mirror podcast and if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at James Daybell. The podcast is at Unexpected Pod. We are also all over all kinds of social media. We are on Facebook. We are also on Instagram, so come and find us there. Check out our website, historiesoftheunexpected.com, for all our back catalogue. 
signed copies of our books, all of those kinds of things. There's a there's a place for for schools to go and check out what we do. Um, and also, if you want to support what we're doing, if you want to become a patron of Histories of the Unexpected, head over to our page on Patreon.com and help us change the way in which people think about the past. But meanwhile, look after your thumbs. No slicing off of the tops of thumbs this weekend or whenever as you're preparing dinners. Be careful. Learn how to... I'm actually taking I'm taking lessons in how to chop properly now, Sam. But be well everywhere. And look after your thumbs. My new favourite expression. Cheerio, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.